The Devil Within, the hit true crime podcast, is back with a terrifying journey into the mind of a madman. In the 1970s, New York City had it all. Hip-hop, punk rock, and the son of Sam. The Devil Within, a season in hell, is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Allergy season is just around the corner, and Brio, the innovative air purifier, can help. Brio quickly removes common allergens, including pollen and pet dander, and deep cleans without filter clogging, so it's more effective than HEPA. Brio's long-life filters save you money, too. Breathe easy this spring with Brio, the advanced air purifier that's ideal for every room in your home. And get 15% off Brio using code IHEART at BrioAirPurifier.com. That's code IHEART at B-R-I-O AirPurifier.com. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of the Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head. I'm walking with the day. We have an announcement to start this episode off with this week. Natalie and I are really excited to announce that we are now part of a network. We are part of the Audio Boom family. This is super huge for the Murder Diaries because it's just going to be an opportunity that allows us to keep the good content coming for you guys and to continue to keep the victims' stories alive every single week. So bear with us as you will be hearing some ads. We're thinking about ways that we can get opportunities for ad-free listening to you with like Patreon or something like that. So stick around and look out for future announcements. Speaking of announcements, I wanted to give a quick shout out to all of the listeners who bought us coffee. So thank you, Kathy, Inez, Mandy, Jen, Dana, Kate, Daphne, Maggie, and Yank in the South. Interestingly enough, the majority of our coffees were bought from Ireland or people that reside there. So a huge thank you to our Irish listeners. We so appreciate it. If you're interested in buying us a coffee and helping support the podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com slash mdiariespod. There you can pick however many coffees you want to buy us and help us out. That's about all we needed to cover before we get started on the case this week. And this case is a listener request. So thank you to Kara for the case suggestion. This case is out of Canada from 2017, and it is the case of Rory Hachet. Duke's Mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. 
Get Dukes. It's got twang. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Rory Hachet was born July 1st, 1999. And at the time that her story takes place, she was living in Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Oshawa is a town of about 150,000, so it's a pretty decent-sized suburb, if you will, of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's nestled along the west side of Lake Ontario, and it's known for its harbor, which is a popular fishing spot in the area. Rory was known to be smart and spunky. Her mom even mentions in an interview that Rory basically like outpaced her in a conversation, if you will, long before this case even took place, that she was just off the wall smart. And her mom really admired her intelligence. Rory also really loved to sing. And something really cute that she did was in 2011. So she would have been about 11, 12 years old. She submitted an audition to the next star, which is a reality TV show that was in Canada at the time. And it was basically a singing competition for children under 15. She submitted like a video of her singing. There are some some clips and audio out there of it. um, And it's pretty cute. Animals were another love of Rory's. And she dreamed about someday becoming a veterinarian. According to her mom and her godmother, um, Rory had her good and her bad moments, and she did, by her teenage years, endure a bit of addiction. Rory's mom, Shannon, revealed that in her first month of high school, her first month, someone gave Rory crystal meth, and this triggered years of struggling. Sometimes she would work as a sex worker, and sometimes she would be camping out in a more transient lifestyle uh, near the Oshawa Creek. So it was just from about 14 years old on that Rory was kind of up and down with going through the struggles of addiction. So that takes us to 2017. It's August 29th. Rory is 18 years old, and this is the day that she goes missing. It's the last day she was ever seen alive. A place that Rory was receiving services through, it's called The Refuge, and I'll talk a bit more about it a little bit later. They call Rory's godmother and they said, hey, you know, we haven't seen her in a while. Is she okay? Is she going to be partaking in our services anymore? So this kind of sparks a worry in her godmother and her family going, you know, where is she? A social media campaign was started because, you know, the refuge had some ties and they kind of helped out with the social media campaign and nothing was coming up. Nobody knew where Rory was. And on September 9th, 2017, she was officially reported missing to the police. 
Rory at the time was really trying to get her life back on track after the ups and downs of the addiction and substance abuse. Um, and in the last six months, she really had made a lot of progress. She had returned to school. She had a job. And she even had her own apartment. Um, she was in a relationship. She had a boyfriend named Tony. And the couple seemed to be in a good place. Uh, she spoke to her mom or saw her every day. So those are all cues that you're going to be looking for to see how someone's life is going, right? She's making money. She's got her own place. And she has healthy relationship with her mom and a boyfriend. She was really trying to pull herself out of where she was and be something bigger and better as a part of pulling herself out of the previous lifestyle she was living. Um, she was receiving services from the refuge, the place that I referenced a little bit earlier. Um, and the refuge is, it's an organization in Rory's area in the Oshawa area that aims to help at risk youth. So she could get assistance with job skills and education, all of those types of things that somebody who's trying to move on in life is going to need. The executive director states that like all of our youth, she had her struggles, but she was making progress. So everyone around her was just really proud of how far she'd come in the last six months. And then bam, she goes missing. It was weird. It did not make sense. Also around this time, Rory told her mom that she thought she was pregnant. They made a plan. Rory was going to stay with her mom for a year, and then she would go off to college and start her life. I was actually listening to Nancy Grace's podcast earlier today, and she talks about this moment in Rory's life. There's a quote out there of Rory's mom talking about their plans for that year. And their plans were to get the ugliest bus they could find fix it up and travel across the country in the bus together and just live together, be together and enjoy each other's company. And I think that says a lot too for Rory at this place in her life. She had these positive future plans. There's no reason mm -hmm. for her to go missing on her own accord. So I, I think that also shows that these are red flags popping up when she can't be found. Absolutely. And another one of those red flags in a way is that she wanted to keep this baby that she felt that she was pregnant with and wanted to keep doing better. Notice that at this point, there wasn't full confirmation of whether she was pregnant or not. This was just something she was feeling and was going to try and be figuring out soon. To reiterate, September 9th, 2017 is when Rory was officially reported missing after having been missing for about a week and a half or so. Two days after that, on September 11th, 2017, around 8.30 p.m., a man and his 11-year-old grandson were fishing at the Oshawa Harbor Pier. They see something floating in the water that was definitely odd. Come to find out, it was a female torso. Oshawa's Harbors Pier is a pier into Lake Ontario. That's a big lake, so this torso could have been anything. But again, it was identified as 
a female torso. It had, and this is a little gruesome, so listener discretion, it had no head, no arms, no legs, and no pelvic area. It had been split open down through the rib cage, and there were no organs left inside. This torso had obvious signs of trauma, and it pointed to homicide pretty much right away once law enforcement got involved. The torso was sent to a forensic pathology unit, and um, of course, samples of the torso were sent out for DNA collection. Investigators started looking into missing people's cases in the area right away. They wanted to see if they could link the body. One by one, they were able to, you know, weed out cases of missing persons that didn't quite fit, um, and it left them with really just a few possibilities of who it could be. Rory was one of those on the list of possibilities. Her family was contacted so that they could submit DNA samples for comparison data. They obliged, submitted DNA, and waited for their results to come back. Well, those results did not come back until November 9th, 2017. That's when it was finally reported that the torso that had been found belonged to Rory. But what happened to her? How did she meet such a morbid and horrific death? Well, to answer that, we have to move forward almost two months to December 29th, 2017. Rory's family had just celebrated their first holiday season without her um, and having to do so knowing that her body had been so violated and that she had met such a horrific death. Meanwhile, tenants on a street-level walk-up apartment on Oshawa's McMillan Drive called a plumber. And they called because they noticed that their pipes were a little bit backed up and they weren't performing correctly. They were having some plumbing issues. Well, the plumbers get to work and they decide that the best course of action is going to be that they head down to the basement apartment that was below the apartment apartment of the tenants who had called the plumber so that they could work up from there. To explain a little further, this apartment setup was really just basically two units stacked on top of each other. You had one that you can walk up to from the street, and then the other one would have stairs going down to it that is technically a basement level. Some cities call these garden apartments. This was referred to as a basement apartment, meaning it's below, and it's just below one other unit. With that, their pipes did connect somehow. We are not plumbing experts, but because it's such a small unit, these plumbers needed to get to that basement unit to get to work. Immediately upon entering this apartment, and I wish I could express to you how foul the pictures are of this apartment. There's trash everywhere. There's just weird things everywhere. It's literally a hoarder's episode. It's a shock to the system when you see what it looked like. One of the main causes of such a shock to the system when you enter this place, apparently, was the rancidic smell. Immediately, the plumbers take note of that smell, and they also noticed that the toilet had already been removed. That just seemed a little off. The tenant was also kind of up in their business and being a little bit annoying, asking questions and pacing around. 
his presence was just really loud. Despite the given working conditions, the plumbers did get to work and it took a while, but they finally got somewhere and they started pulling out an extremely strange substance. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets and all your stress seems to melt away like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. The tenant, who we now know as Adam Strong, the whole time they're pulling this weird substance out, was saying things and asking questions like, whoa, what do you think that is? How did that get there? And just kind of playing silly with it all. One of the plumbers was a hunter and he recognized exactly what it was. He was looking at flesh material with hair on it. They decided smartly to get a bag, get a plastic bag and start putting the material into these bags. They know they needed to retain it in some capacity. The plumbers were also somehow able to sneak a photo of the material and send it to their boss. He told them to gather their tools and get out of there without letting on any of their concerns. So in a manner to not set off any alarms in Adam, the plumbers said that, oh, okay, you know, they're going to be done for today, then they'll be back tomorrow. But they got out of there and they called 911. And I'm going to play part of the 911 call here. Communications. Hi there. How are you? Good. You? Good, thanks. Um, just a, I'm a plumber and I'm on site for uh, uh, a job. We got, uh, we're, we're snaking a drain and we were, uh, we've been pulling back, uh, we probably pulled back about 10 pounds, 15 pounds of like, it looks like flesh type of stuff, meat. And we started to sink, and we've been working at it for like three, four hours now, right? Oh, okay. And we we can't get it clear, but we keep pulling back chunks of, you know, whatever the hell it is. Thanks to that 911 call, officers responded around 8 p.m. They arrived at the basement apartment to check the situation out. The plumber's boss is also on the scene now for support, and they turned over the plastic bags of flesh material to the officer. Backup was called pretty quickly for more law enforcement officers to arrive at the scene, and they all entered the basement apartment, and Adam gives it up. He says that, yep, what they collected was human flesh, and there's more body parts in my freezer. And you know what? He's pretty flippant about his admission, too, because there's actually a quote of him saying, you caught me, it's a body, the gig's up just kind of gives you a sense of where this man's coming from. And it's not a very remorseful or empathetic place. Oh, yeah. It's completely sociopathic. Mm -hmm. It became clear pretty quickly that Adam had been cutting up human remains and flushing the flesh down the toilet. He was arrested and charged with improper, indecent interference with a corpse. That's all they could get that particular day. A detective notes visual blood splatter on the stairs leading up to the apartment 
the interior walls and ceiling. Blood was on a pair of Adam's sneakers. Um, Forensic techniques would later uncover even more blood um, that hadn't been visible before. Uh, Adam's semen was also found when the pelvis was examined that had been in the freezer. The autopsy report confirmed several blunt force type injuries, including bruising around the right eye, the right cheek. Um, There was bruising on the left cheek and chin, and there were fractures in two areas of the skull. The overall finding of the autopsy was that, unfortunately, a definitive cause of death could not really be arrived at. Um, And this was really just a cause of the state of the remains. They were able to link that the remains found in Adam's freezer of horror were indeed Rory Hache's. Whilst they are investigating inside of the apartment and Adam's been arrested, he says, oh, hey, um, I have a pipe bomb in my apartment and police have to do like a whole thing about it. Of course, they have to evacuate the neighbors and they end up having a robot safely detonate the pipe bomb, which did function as a bomb would. Luckily, after the bomb was safely detonated and disposed of, they were able to then continue the search of his apartment. There's actually news footage of the bomb from down the block being detonated. And the blast, the sound that it makes, it sounds like it must have been such a huge bomb. I'm glad you brought that up because I felt the exact same way when I watched that news footage. It was so loud and a huge blast. Yeah, especially for something homemade. Adam continues with his confessions while he's in custody. And he just basically says, quote, there's no way of getting around it. I chopped her up. If that wasn't crass enough, he goes on to say that his plan to dispose of her was, quote, unfortunately foiled by inadequate plumbing and that that's a freaking shame. And the the detective kind of looks at him like, and he goes, no, no, for me, for, for me. It's just so blunt. It's so morbid. It's disgusting. He then got to enjoy a meal on law enforcement's dime. Per his request, the meal was from Wendy's. The meal consisted of a Wendy's triple burger, no pickles, two spicy chicken wraps, and a grilled chicken Caesar salad with iced tea, no ice. There's footage of him placing this order. And he asks, is that too outrageous or something like that? Like, like, is that too much food? Should I not be ordering that? Almost as if he's amused with himself and the situation and absurdity of him being in custody ordering a massive, you know, takeout order. Yes. And there's a small clip of when he receives the meal too. Mm -hmm. And he was just pumped. And it's just mind-boggling. Most mind-boggling from when he was in custody during that time period as well is that he asked for the detectives that were interrogating him to uh, pass something on to Rory's parents. He wanted to pass on his condolences to Rory's parents. I can't make this stuff up. I literally gasped when I heard that 
I was actually watching the interview and he doesn't say it with any sense of remorse either. He says it almost as... um It's like a mirror to society. He's only doing it because he's a sociopath and he has to mirror what society would expect of him. Totally. Absolutely. We can relish a little bit, though, in Rory's mom's response to his said condolences. And she says that if he wants to show her he's sorry, that he can stick his head in the toilet and flush. Props. That's freaking chef's kiss. Yeah, her mom, her mom, Shannon's a badass. Every interview that I saw of her, she tells it like it is. And you know that there was no messing with her. Totally. She doesn't take shit even from herself. When she was really having hard times with Rory, she didn't have any problems saying, look, I'm gone too much. I can't support my daughter the way I need to during these struggles for her. And we need help. Now, I'm not going to go like too much further into that because that's the family's kind of more private business that has come out because of this case a little bit. Um, But she's just takes no shit, including from herself and calls it how it is even on herself when she needed support. In terms of our timeline here, um, cell phone data shows that on September 4th, Adam Strong was near the harbor where Rory's body had been found. So within about a week, he had been at the harbor and it would have allowed him time to put the torso into the lake. Let's fast forward to July 2018. It's been about seven months since Adam was arrested and another set of DNA was found in Adam's apartment. This time, the DNA came from a fleshy material that was on a knife Investigators discovered that that DNA belonged to Candace Fitzpatrick. Candace had been missing since 2008 when she was 18 years old. So this is about 10 years before her DNA was finally found in Adam's apartment. She was last seen in her home. She had been leaving to maybe go out to a mall or shopping, something of that nature, and had never returned. For reasons unknown, It wasn't until two years later in 2010 that Candace had been reported missing. Both Candace and Rory were from the Oshawa area, both struggled with substance use, and both also used sex works as a means of income from time to time. Uh, Neither had an obvious connection to Adam, though, uh, but incidentally, Rory's friend has a picture with Rory. Um, And this picture is from when they visited the It movie set. Love both of those movies. It was filmed in Port Hope and Toronto, both in Ontario, Canada. So they're visiting the movie set. They take a picture. And lo and behold, guess who's photobombing in the background? Adam Strong. So that has led some involved in the case to believe and wonder if Rory was being a bit hunted by Adam. It could have been a coincidence, of course, uh, since he's into horror movies and that type of stuff. But wow, what a crazy coincidence that is. I want to take a beat to clarify as well that Candace's body has yet to be found. What was found in Adam's apartment was her DNA. So we know that she was there. The investigation within Rory's case 
continues, and there was now enough evidence to charge Adam with two counts of murder instead of improper, indecent interference with a corpse. The latter charge was dropped, and it took a little while, and it was kind of a scary situation because we didn't know if they can get there. But on November 8th, 2018, Adam was rearrested and charged with murder. Despite having many resources for this episode, it's been hard to understand the full scope of Adam's situation during that charge drop and the new charges being added, but it is my understanding that he was in custody for the majority or all of this time, and that is a bit of what we know. So he's kind of stuck there and gets rearrested and charged with murder. He pleaded not guilty. During this time, Adam has the audacity to try and bargain or negotiate some form of allowance of like money and other things that would provide him with more comfort while in jail. Um, And he was doing that in exchange for, quote, spilling the beans, meaning I can tell you what happened to Candace. I can tell you what happened to Rory, but you need to keep me comfortable while I'm in jail. His demands, of course, were not heeded, and Adam remained tight-lipped about the events that led up to the murders. So at this point, he's essentially only truly admitted to horrific post-mortem violation of Rory's body. The trial gets set and it begins in September of 2020. The defense tries to hold that Adam's prior blatant confession of murder, when we're talking about him saying, yes, you caught me, I have more body parts in the freezers, they're basically saying that confession is inadmissible. They also argue that Rory died of an overdose and that Adam panicked and tried to dispose of her body. As for Candace, remember, Adam has two charges of murder, one for Rory and one for Candace. The defense argues that, well, no one knows what happened to Candace. She's still missing. You know, there's no body. How do we know that he killed Candace? The prosecution presents at the trial that both Candace and Rory had been murdered by Adam during a sexual assault and or after being held in his apartment for some time. They believe that he most likely buried Candace somewhere. And with Rory, they believe that he went on to dismember her body and then dispose of the torso in Lake Ontario and then was attempting to flush the rest of it down the toilet. Five women testified against Adam at the trial with allegations of sexual abuse, and they describe how Adam used to do horrific things to them under the guise of sexual kink and BDSM. And just, I have in my notes here, God, this is so terrible. Breathe. Okay. I don't know if you or listeners were experiencing that, but I just needed space for like a beat, mm-hmm. just after hearing of all these terrible things that Adam had done to Candace, to Rory, to these girls who were testifying against him. It's an absolute never-ending haunted house, mm-hmm. but it is real. The trial concluded December 23rd, 2020, and the verdict was read March 16th, 2021. Superior Court Justice Joseph DeLuca said that he was satisfied beyond a reasonable doubt that Adam had sexually assaulted and murdered Rory. 
Adam was subsequently found guilty of first-degree murder in Rory's death. Unfortunately, the justice went on to say that there was insufficient evidence to prove that Strong intended to murder Candace. He clarified, though, that it was clear that Adam unlawfully caused her death. And he says, quote, he probably did it, talking about killing Candace, but probably is not the test. Adam was found guilty of manslaughter in Candace's case instead of murder. On May 28th, 2021, Adam was sentenced and his sentence was life in prison without the chance of parole for 25 years. He would be about 73 or so. um, And that's just for the murder of Rory. Um, Strong was also handed a concurrent 18-year sentence for manslaughter in the death of Candace. Rory came from a family that has like a history with motorcycle clubs. Her grandpa, according to that chapter on YouTube, um, was a founder of Satan's Choice Motorcycle Club, and her uncle is or was a hell's angel. So I would not want to be Adam in prison with the uncle of the girl I murdered being a hell's angel. And that's just where I'm going to leave that. I also want to mention that it wasn't confirmed nor denied if Rory was pregnant. Adam, who, as we know, dismembered her body, did take out her reproductive system and he grossly commented that she wasn't pregnant according to him. But he's not a doctor, so what the F does he even know? Rory's mom carries in her heart that Rory is in heaven with a baby girl that she calls Kimberly. Shannon is also quoted as saying, Rory was the only thing I've done right in my life that was really worth talking about. My daughter didn't deserve the death she got. Rory had a tattoo behind her right ear that read, I live. And I hope that with this episode, we can help her spirit do just that. That's where we'll leave it for this week. Until our next episode, you know where to find us at the Murder Diaries pod on Instagram, at the Murder Diaries pod at gmail.com and the murder diaries podcast.com and if you haven't already please rate review and subscribe to us on apple podcasts or wherever you listen it helps us keep the good content flowing your five stars mean everything and until then stay safe bye seeking the truth never gets old Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.